0: Welcome to an inspirational teaching by Pastor Victor DeMonte, the Senior Pastor of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. This morning we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1. We're still at Ephesians chapter 1. So if you got your Bible, turn to Ephesians 1 verse 1 to 2. It talks about the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in christ remember we're looking at this whole teaching of what it is to be in christ and so here the apostle paul writes his letter to the ephesian churches and you'll find very often in most of his letters he addresses the church in this way saints in whichever place faithful in christ grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ And the reason why the Apostle Paul says these words, grace and peace, because that is the environment of heaven. The peace of God and the grace of God. That's the culture of heaven. The New Testament begins with the angels announcing in Luke chapter 2, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill to all men. The angels are rejoicing because the peace which is in heaven is now made available to us on earth. They are rejoicing because the goodness of God which is in heaven will now be demonstrated towards all men on earth. Not many people understand that God is a good God. But God is extremely good. God is a loving God. God desires to do good things to all men when we don't understand the goodness of God, then we will interpret God in the wrong way. The minute an accident happens, death happens, tragedy happens, we we tend to hold God responsible. But God said, Jesus came into this world to establish peace and goodness towards all men. In James chapter 1, verse 17 says, every good gift And every perfect gift is from above. So it's very easy to discern which is from God and which is from the devil. Anything which is good, anything which is perfect, comes from God, comes from above. Comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God doesn't get up one morning and says, Oh, I'm not in a good mood, and so I won't do anything good for you today. And the next day he says, Wow, I'm... Feeling good, so I will bless. God doesn't go through those emotions. God is not like shifting shadows. God is good. God is good. And all the time, He is good. That should be our basis. That should be our conviction, our revelation, the goodness of God. And Jesus' ministry flowed out of that goodness that he understood or demonstrated of God towards people. He brought the peace and he brought the goodness of God to mankind. Now, Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verse 25 to 26. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And immediately after that, he's talking about peace. And it says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So how do we receive this peace? Through the Holy Spirit. That's why the Apostle Paul says in his opening statement, Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive the peace of God by the Holy Spirit. See, the world describes peace as the absence of something. The absence of violence and noise or the absence of conflict and war is the earthly peace, which is external. But when Jesus talks about peace, he's not talking about the absence of something, he's talking about the presence of someone, which is the Holy Spirit, who gives us peace, which is eternal. And that's the peace of God that is there in our heart. It's not the absence of something, but it's the presence of someone. Who's the someone? The Holy Spirit who brings peace into our hearts. Before Jesus came into this world, the angels announced peace on earth, goodwill to all men. Before Jesus could ascend to heaven, he spoke words, peace to his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. We see this in John chapter 20 verse 19. I hope you captured the scene or what the disciples went through. Here was Jesus just being crucified. That evening, all the disciples are gathered together behind closed doors and they're trying to comprehend what just happened. They were trying to get to terms of of what happened to Jesus who they loved. They were frightened, the Bible says. Because they knew the Jews went and killed Jesus. Now they could come after them. And so they are living with anxiety and fear. With a sense of despair in their heart behind closed doors. Now, if you are in that situation, you definitely are not looking for a surprise. You just want to be safe You close the door, you're amongst your friends, and you want to feel secure again. What does Jesus do? He walks through that closed door. What would you do if something happened like that? We would scream. And that's exactly what happened to the disciples. They were fearful. And they didn't even recognize Jesus. And probably Jesus saw their state of anxiousness and fear that he says, peace to you. But it didn't help. They were still in that sense of fear. And then Jesus goes and shows his hands and he uh, reveals himself to them. And then the Bible says their hearts were turned to joy or they were glad at heart because they recognized Jesus. You know, in the midst of your fear, if you could only recognize Jesus, your heart will be glad. I'm going to say that again. In the midst of your fears, if you could only recognize Jesus, your heart will be calm. It will be turned into gladness. We'll come more to that. And so Jesus then says, again, they didn't get it the first time, again Jesus says, Peace to you, just as the Father sent me, so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now God wants us to live in an environment of peace. He didn't create us to live in an environment of anxiety. He didn't create us to live in an environment of fear and unbelief. He created us to be in an atmosphere or an environment Of God's grace and God's peace. And God wants us to experience his peace at all three levels. Peace with God. Peace with ourselves. Now many people have peace with God. They know their sins are forgiven. But they are not at peace with themselves. Something is bothering them. A sense of failure, a sense of guilt or condemnation. Something is not at rest. Their past is catching up with them. There is internal turmoil. God is saying peace is about peace with God and peace with yourself. And the third level is peace with one another. Why? Because peace is the atmosphere of heaven. Whenever someone is living in peace, you're living In a spiritual atmosphere. You're living in a godly atmosphere. You're living in an atmosphere where the presence of God is. Anyone felt very comfortable when they are sick? None of us feel comfortable when we are sick. Why? Because we feel troubled. We feel restless. It's a place of unrest. Jesus came to bring rest. He came to bring peace. Now, Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 says, The peace of God. This is the quality of God's peace. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Can you say the word surpass? One more time. Surpass all understanding. Say all understanding. You know what surpass all understanding means? That means there is a peace that comes from God that is beyond our understanding. Beyond our logical thinking will guard your heart and will guard your mind through christ jesus now there's no time for stories and testimony okay maybe i'll tell you a story just to make this a little more practical but before i get to the story we will not receive the peace of god that surpasses our understanding unless we give up our right to understand I'm going to say that again, you want to write it down, write it down. We will not receive the peace that surpasses our understanding unless we give up our right to understand. Can you understand how you got born again? Can you understand how a life transforms when God's spirit touches them? Beyond our understanding. When you go through financial crisis, you trust God, you do not know where the money is coming from, you do not know how the money is going to come to you, it surpasses your understanding, bang, God gives a miracle. So when we try to understand how God works, our understanding messes the peace of God in our life. It messes up the peace of God in our life. And many of us... Are forfeited the peace of God because of our understanding. Now you do some homework. Everything in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, when Jesus came up with a solution, He came up with a solution that surpassed their understanding. Isn't that right? The multiplication of the loaves and fish surpassed their understanding. Going in the fish's mouth, Uh, Answer to Peter's tax problem. Everything that Jesus did surpassed their understanding. So when we give up the right to understand how God's going to do it, that's when the peace of God will surpass our understanding. Guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus or through Christ Jesus. Now this happened many years ago. This is how I learned the value of this verse. Now there's more to it. I'm only just sharing a little bit. On on this aspect of peace I had an opportunity to study in Singapore A college that I longed for Charismatic, Bible-based, spiritual college But my heart was so disappointed Because I never got into the previous college I didn't want to open up this area in my life In case I get disappointed again How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, once you're disappointed, you don't want to venture in that. You're you're more guarded and cautious. But anyway, to please the people who recommended me to meet this person from New Zealand, I just out of pleasing her or pleasing this family, I went and met him. And he told me about the college. He told me to write my testimony. And he said, okay, you find out from your parents if uh, they will pay your air ticket And everything else will be sponsored in the college. Now what am I doing? I'm so guarding my heart because I don't want to be disappointed again. I don't want to go through that. And that time, we had no one to pray for us. We didn't have anyone to talk. I was alone in Chennai. And so to cope with those emotions is not easy. And so as I submitted it, my testimony filled up the application. I wrote a letter to my dad, my parents at home, and saying, I have an opportunity to study in Singapore. And they're willing to pay my tuition fees, my accommodation, everything. All you got to do is pay for my ticket from here to Singapore. I wait patiently. I am praying and I'm trusting God. I'm trying to keep my heart neutral. Not too excited so that I won't get too disappointed. And I'm saying, Lord, it's your will. Let it happen. Otherwise, take it away. Being neutral. But suspense is building up. I get a letter. And my dad says, no going anywhere. Focus on your study there. Finish your degree and come back. Now, like usually parents say, I took that letter... I was so troubled. I was so, my head was hot. I jumped into the bus to go tell this person, maybe I can't come, my parents are not sponsoring the air ticket. And the whisper of the Holy Spirit in that bus, I will never forget my first lesson. Listen to the peace of God in your heart. And when I shut my mind out from all the torment and the confusion that was going on, I found in my spirit there was a very deep sense of peace and assurance that everything is going to go well. So by the time I reached the person's home, I came to a conclusion. I'm going to tell him I'm going because the peace of God is in my heart. It's guiding my heart. And this is the scripture that came to me. Let the peace of God guard your heart and then your mind. You know, we do it the other way. We want the peace in our mind to guard our hearts. And we mess up with the peace of God. But when you let the peace of God, which is internal, coming from the Holy Spirit, guarding your heart, guarding your mind, you will make the right decision. So I went and met him very confidently in the outside. I said, I'm going. And underneath my breath, I said, if my parents don't give me the ticket money, God, you will have to. I did that, walked out of that home, Still feeling the sense of peace. There was joy in my heart. Only to find out two weeks later I get another letter. And for the first time, my dad turns charismatic and he says, I believe the Lord is leading you. You can go to the college. I should have framed that letter. I was shocked. I kept looking. I said, what? what? And I learned the value of going by the peace of God that's in your heart. And I can tell you stories and stories about it. But... There is something that we need to learn. Allow the peace of God to rule your heart, guard your heart, rule your heart, and also your mind. Peace is the environment in which you will grow and develop as a Christian and in your relationship with God. Environment is so important. God created the environment before He created His creation. He created the waters before he created the fish. Water is the environment for the fish to live in. He created the soil before he created the plants. Soil is the environment in which the tree and plantation grow. So the environment is important for us to grow. Anything in the right environment will grow. Isn't that true? Anyone in the right environment will grow. Why doesn't strawberries grow in India naturally? You find strawberries growing in India doesn't grow naturally. Now they have artificial way of doing it, but naturally it doesn't grow. Why? Because India doesn't have the right environment. As simple as that. So God wants us to live in the atmosphere of peace. In the environment of peace. How did Jesus impart that peace to his disciples who were anxious and fearful? He did two things. He spoke the word and imparted the spirit. Can you say that after me? He spoke the word and he imparted the spirit. So Jesus imparted peace. He says, my peace I leave with you. How did he leave it? With his word and the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 6 verse 63, the Bible says, It is the spirit who gives life. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So every time Jesus spoke, it was a combination of spirit and life. The words that he spoke brought life and it was backed by the Spirit of God. Word and spirit go together. They are married together. Word and spirit. Ministry is not only about passing on information, ministry is about impartation. I'm going to say that again. Ministry is not only about information, it is also about impartation. Information, you Google, you get information. Information you can get overnight, impartation is what you need to seek God for. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Apostle Paul, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power. That's how the Apostle Paul understood it. His ministry was not only to pass on information, it was to impart by spirit and power something to the people that were listening to him. Or reading his letter. 1 Corinthians 4.20 For the kingdom of God, can we say this after me? The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. So, very often we border on the first one, the word, but not the power. What power is the Bible talking about? It's the power to transform our lives. It's the power of God, which is the spirit of God, that brings hope, eradicates fear, Transforms people's lives. 2 Corinthians 3.6, another important verse. This is what the Apostle Paul says. God has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. But the letter kills, but the Spirit brings life. The letter kills, but the Spirit brings life. So the Apostle Paul is saying this. My sufficiency... My ability as a minister of the new covenant does not come by the letter, but it comes by the Spirit. Letter kills, the Spirit gives life. I find a lot of Christians who are actually killing themselves by looking only at the letter. And we think by confessing the letter every time, we kick a promise and we confess it and we confess it and confess it and we trying to make the promise happen. When the word of God is spoken without the spirit of God, there's no life in it. We need to have revelation. We need to have the spirit. The spirit of God is what brings life to the word of God. When Jesus spoke, his words were spoken which create life. The difference between Jesus and us, when we use words, we use words to communicate. God uses words to create not that nice? And so we must be careful. The words we speak have life, have created an environment wherever we live. We will come to that. This is what Jesus commissions his disciples. He said, peace to you. Even as the Father sent me, so send I you. And he breathes the Holy Spirit upon them. What did the Father send Jesus to do? Two things. Speak the word and impart the Spirit. What did Jesus' ministry involve? Speaking the word and imparting the Spirit. In John chapter 12 verse 49, Jesus says, I do not speak of my own, I only speak what the Father tells me. So Jesus aligned himself with the Father. He spoke what the Father speaks and released the Spirit. We must learn to speak what the Father speaks. We need to speak God's language. Now when I say God's language, I'm not talking about praying in other tongues. The Word of God. The Word of God is God's Word. It has power when you believe in it. And so we create an environment and we impart peace by the words we speak and the Spirit that we release. Jesus' assignment now becomes our assignment. You know, there's a drastic shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Am I going too fast? There's a shift between the Old and the New. The Old Testament emphasizes so much on the power of sin that defiles people and defiles places. And you read the Old Testament, it says don't touch the dead, don't do this, don't do that, because it defiles people and places. The New Testament emphasizes a lot On the Word and the Spirit. Can you see the difference between the old and new? The old were frightened because of the power of sin. And they focused on the power of sin. In the New Testament, we focus on the power of the Word and the Holy Spirit that sanctifies, that cleanses, that breaks the power of sin and releases us. There are many people sitting behind closed doors. That we come across in life. Gripped with fear gripped with hopelessness. There are many people who are living behind closed doors, not knowing what tomorrow holds for them. They're filled with anxiety. When you meet people like that, who do not know God, remember, your assignment begins. God has given you an assignment to step into that place and change what they're going through in life. Now I want to say this to you. The first time when Jesus said, Peace, It didn't settle in their hearts. They were still anxious. Till they had a revelation of Jesus. Saw that in his hands were the mark of the cross. And they were glad. And then Jesus said, peace. And said, receive the Holy Spirit even as the Father sent me. So I send you. The Father sent Jesus to release peace on earth. God has called you and me to release his peace on earth and in people's lives. But our anxiousness, our fears, our unbelief, our uncertainties does not allow the peace of God to settle on our lives. I hope that at the end of this meeting we will have a little time to resolve some of those things that has robbed us from the peace that God has given to us. The peace that we initially received when Christ came into our life. If you've not done the encounter weekend you know, or the nine day school, I recommend you do it because it deals with the internal conflict and it deals with, with areas of your life like fear and anxiety that bring you to a place of being at peace even with life and with circumstances and people around you. When the Bible said about peace. Peace, the Hebrew word is shalom. And shalom is wholeness. That's the meaning of shalom, wholeness, in all three areas. Wholeness in our relationship with God, wholeness with ourselves and with life, and wholeness in our relationship with one another. Somewhere we must aspire to live in that place of peace. Somewhere we must yearn to have that atmosphere right there in our homes, in our offices, wherever you go. An atmosphere of peace. You know, when we had to sell our home, I didn't want to take a rash decision, tell agents or anyone we're selling the property. Mom was getting anxious. December was the time to sell the property. I was just waiting for the right moment. And I told one lady in the previous apartment that we're selling our bath. She brought in a family that came, sat in her home. And then he turned to her and said, Why did you take us all over there and show us other houses? You could have brought us straight here. There's something in this place is so peaceful. So my target was according to the peace. He took it. He bought it. And I thought to myself, when I leave, the peace will leave. You see, the, if people who do not know the peace of God will sense the peace of God immediately. We get so accustomed to peace. And if your home does not have the atmosphere of peace, then something is wrong. It's easy to say he is the unseen guest in the home, rather to be the seen guest where we sense his presence, and his presence is manifested in his peace. What is it that you release with your words will determine the environment of what you live in. So here is what happens to Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 33, Matthew chapter 3. We all know this passage of scripture. Jesus comes out of the waters of baptism. Remember the scene? What happens? The heavens open. He hears a voice from the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the dove or the Holy Spirit like a dove. Dove is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit like a dove descended upon him and remained. Can you say the word remain? You see, every one of us who are believers have the Holy Spirit in us. But the Holy Spirit does not remain on every believer. And here we see Jesus... Where the Holy Spirit not only was upon him, but remained on him. Do you know that the symbol of peace in this world is the symbol of? What's the symbol of peace in this world? A dove. Where did he get it from? Probably the Bible. The symbol of peace. And you see the Holy Spirit taking the shape of a dove and remaining on him. You know, if uh, if this hanky was a dove, okay, you can imagine this a dove, and this was on my shoulder, how do you think I would live life? Can you tell me? Quiet, then. I'll be very conscious that the dove is sitting on my, on my shoulder. And everything I do, I will be mindful of the dove. Every place I go, I will be mindful of the dove. I will do everything to accommodate the dove that's resting and sitting on me. And Jesus wants us to live life like that. Jesus wants the dove of the Holy Spirit to not only come and visit us, but to remain on us that we will live life always mindful that dove is resting upon you, the dove of the Holy Spirit. That wherever you go, whatever you say, you will keep in mind the dove of the Holy Spirit that's upon your life. And actually, the Bible goes on to describe that. There's no time for it. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It didn't say, do not grieve the Father. It didn't say, do not grieve Jesus. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is a sensitive person, not in a negative way, but in a very positive way, which reflects the characteristic of a dove. And God wants us to live in that atmosphere, always reminded of that dove, of the Holy Spirit, upon our lives. What happens in Genesis chapter 8, verse 8 to 12 is actually a prophetic statement or a prophetic incident of what happened to Jesus and what what we can even receive. Peace of God. I'm going to narrate the story of how Noah, remember the story of Noah building the ark and then the floods after 40 days resides? And Noah does something. He releases a raven But he also sends out a dove. And the Bible says, he also sent out from himself. It looked like there was something very personal attachment to the dove. He sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. And the dove found no resting place for the sole of her feet. So the dove returns back to him. Then he waits another seven days sends out the dove from the ark and in the evening the dove returns back to him. But this time a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. A sign of life comes back to him. Then Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. Verse 12 So he waited yet another seven days sent out the dove and it did not return to him anymore. And that's a picture of what God wants us to experience. Send out, release the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus did to the disciples. He sent out the devil of the Holy Spirit to rest upon them, that his peace will be their peace. That the Spirit of God will not just visit his disciples, but remain on his disciples. And that's another major shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit visited them In the New Testament, the hadab of the Holy Spirit is looking for a resting place. He's looking for people. He's looking for communities. He's looking for families on which he could rest upon. What impact did it have for Jesus after the Holy Spirit remained upon him? In Mark chapter 6 verse 53, it talks about Jesus that crosses over, comes out of the boat, And immediately people begin to recognize Jesus. So what do they do? They run throughout the whole surrounding region, began to carry out all those who were sick to wherever they heard he was, and laid the sick in the marketplace. And they begged him. They pleaded with Jesus that they might touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him, you notice that he didn't touch them, they touched him were made whole. This was possible only after the Holy Spirit rested and remained upon Jesus. The outcome of of hosting the presence of God, the outcome of a living life with the dove in mind, will produce a ministry, will produce from your life something that's beyond your imagination. It altered the course of Jesus' ministry after the dawn of the Holy Spirit rested upon him. What about Peter? What about the apostles and John? What happened to them? We read in Acts chapter 3 verse 1, again a familiar passage. Peter and John was going up to the temple to pray at the ninth hour. There was a crippled man at the gate of Beautiful who was crippled from the time of his birth. And he was asking for money. He was begging for alms. And then it says in verse 4, Peter and John, fixing his eyes on them, Peter uh, said, look at us. Now look at the confidence. He says, look at us. After he was clothed with power from on high, he says, look at us. So he gave them his attention. And probably this man saying, wow, somebody is taking notice. Somebody is giving us some attention. Probably here's some big bucks coming my way. But Peter said this to him. Okay, verse 6. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What did Peter have? He had the presence of God. He had the Holy Spirit upon his life. That he says, I can't give you monetary help. what I have, the Holy Spirit I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Most of us are convinced of what we don't have rather than what we have. Isn't it true? We live in a place always aware of our lack rather than what we have. But Peter lived differently. He lived in the awareness of what he had. How many of us have been baptized with the Holy Spirit many years ago? But we've forgotten of what we had. We've forgotten what we have received. And here the Peter says, look at us. What I have, the Holy Spirit, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. You know, when this happened, this whole incident spread. You know, any miracle like this, it catches people's attention. And right across People got to know that if you came across Peter, you'd get a miracle. And so see what happens in Acts chapter 5 in the early church. They knew that Peter was walking the streets, and they said, let's get close enough to him. They brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches. So at least the shadow, at least the shadow, they're not even asking for prayer requests. They were not even asking him to lay hands on them. At least the shadow of Peter passing by fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from surrounding cities of Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirit. And the Bible records they were all healed, hugged by living in the shadow of Peter. By just coming close enough to Peter so that something on his life, will rub out on their life and will manifest the glory of God. What's the point? What am I trying to get at this morning? Your shadow will always reflect what overshadows your life. I'm going to ask you to repeat it. My shadow, say it again, my shadow will reflect whatever overshadows my life. You got the point? We all have a shadow. And other people are around that shadow, affected in one way or the other. If a person lives with fear and anxiety overshadowing their life, guess what will their shadow reflect? Say it loudly, what will their, their shadow reflect? You hang around people who are fearful and anxious. If you don't watch it, you will become like them. Be careful of this, be careful of that. be careful of this, be careful of that. You know, and all they have to say, you don't eat that dish. If you eat it, you get cancer finished. That's out of the menu. You look at it and you think, out of the menu. No, cancer. People pass on fear. Today the health industry is making money. How? Out of our fear. Hello? We will not exercise. A thousand people will tell you to exercise. You won't exercise. But when the doctor says you are having a heart problem, you have to. Immediately we alter our time and then we walk. Why? We don't want to die. How? The fear of death grips us. I'm glad you didn't shout an amen. You see, if lust is the atmosphere you live in, or overshadows you, that's what you'll reflect. Whatever it is, it may be anxiety, it may be anger, it may be fear, it can be anything. Whatever overshadows your life, your shadow will reflect the people around you. Peter learned what it is to allow the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, to overshadow his life. So much so, his shadow reflected the presence of God. Here is what the Bible says in Psalm 91 verse 1. He who dwells. That means anybody who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Can you see what that verse is saying? He who dwells will abide. You got it? He who dwells, what will happen? You will abide. Where? Under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, I believe the secret place is us being in Christ. What is the secret place? Us being in Christ. And I can... Because scriptures, us being in Christ, we are hid in Christ, in God. It's a secret place. When we dwell in Christ, we shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. How many of us dwell in Christ? Put your hands up. Then the shadow of the Almighty will abide over you. Some of us are brought up with this in a very uh, legalistic way. If you have to dwell in the secret place of the most high, you got to lock yourself up in a room, and you need to keep crying, and you need to keep praying, and keep praying for some hours. And then you come out of the secret place, and God is with me. And I found out the secret place is learning to live life in Christ. And when we live in Christ, the shadow of the Almighty shall abide over us or we shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The apostles knew this. That's why the Bible says in Acts chapter 6, in Him, completed, in Him we live, we move, and we have our existence. No wonder they lived under the shadow of the Almighty. They lived in that atmosphere. God is looking for a generation that will not only live in purity, but will also live In the power of the Spirit. Can I hear an amen? And somehow we have lowered the standard of Christian living. That we have made our Christian living about good conduct. Full stop. And some of us are taking years to even come to that place. But our Christian life is more than just good conduct. Yes, it's a demand on our lives that we live a godly life, a holy life. But the reason for our holy life is to live a powerful life. And God is looking for a generation. He's looking for people in this church. He's looking for men and women who will not only rise to the challenge of living a godly life, but will also cry for the Spirit of God to remain on them and that we will be a generation that will learn to live life keeping in mind the dove of the Holy Spirit that rests upon our life. See, Jesus not only wants us to be a recipient of His peace, He wants us to give us, be givers of His peace. And look at the mandate He's given us. Look at the mandate He's given to His disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 12 to 13. When you go into a household, greet it. That means you go into a house, say hi, welcome the people there, be courteous to the people. And then it says, if the household is worthy, the household is the people that stay there. Not the building, it's the people that stay there. If the household is worthy, let your peace, whose peace? Your peace. Why? You've received peace. Let your peace remain upon it. How do you release the peace? Your word and spirit. How do you release peace? Your word and spirit. 99% of the times we create our own environment by the words we speak. You got that? I'm going to say that again. 99% of the times, we create our own environment by the words we speak. And if you have fear dominating in your heart and you speak it, you begin to live in that environment. But when you have the peace of God reigning in your heart and you speak it, peace of God becomes the environment. And so we need to be careful with what we speak. If the household is worthy, they receive your word, they receive what you're saying. Let your peace remain on it. And it says, if they are not worthy, your peace will return to you. How will it return? That means when you speak the word, they're not very welcoming. They're not receiving the word. Don't worry, your peace will still remain with you. Don't be disturbed. Don't be agitated, they didn't receive the word. Your peace will return. There will be that confidence. You shared what God wanted you to share. You released the word. Now it's God who can minister the word peace will return. One more thing I want us to look at. 2 Corinthians 1, 21, 22. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. Now we must leave with this in our mind. Now God who established us with you in Christ. What is the Apostle Paul saying? God who established us. Who's the us? Peter, John, all the uh, apostles. You, me. He established us in Christ. In Christ, Peter and Paul are our brothers. You like that? Peter and Paul and James and all the other apostles are on the same platform. How? In Christ. Is that making sense to you? Hello? Are you still there? So look at at what it's saying. Now, he who established us with you in Christ. Same platform, in Christ has anointed us, not will anoint us, has anointed us and has also sealed us with the Holy Spirit in our hearts as guaranteed. That along with all the apostles in Christ, He has anointed us. Do you believe God has anointed you? He's not only anointed you to stand behind a podium and preach, He has anointed you wherever you go. You have the anointing. And I feel we must remember that. When you walk into your home, you walk and the anointing is with you. When you walk into office, the anointing is with you. Every transaction you make, the anointing is with you. Every word you speak, you're anointed. Can you say, I am anointed? We're anointed in Christ and we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com